Coming up, the Celtics are dead. No, the Celtics are alive. They're alive. We're going to talk about that in wrestling next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. If you missed the rewatchables, we put one up on Monday. We did Cape Fear. I'm also going to be on the Prestige TV podcast on Sunday after episode two of Succession. And you can also hear my this podcast. On Sunday, Rosilla will be coming on, as always, as the NBA schedule heats up. We're going to talk NBA in a second with Rob Mahoney. We're also going to talk about WrestleMania, the two-part extravaganza this weekend. Shoemaker and Kaz from the Ringer Wrestling Show are coming on to uh, break down all the storylines. This is really fun. Basketball and wrestling, I feel like I'm 15 again, except for the fact that I sleep in the same bed with a woman. That's That's really the big difference. Anyway. Let's get to the podcast first. Our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this after the Bucks Celtics blowout. The Celtics beat the Bucks by a thousand points. Rob Mahoney is here from the Ringer. We thought this was going to be a game of the year candidate. It was not. It was the best game the Celtics played all year. Somehow, because they lost by 19 to Washington on Tuesday night for reasons that remain unclear <laughs> to a Washington team that was dying to tank and maybe get in the top, top six for the lottery. The Celtics still probably can't catch the Bucks, But yet, Rob, there was a little message sent tonight. And the message was this. We are very comfortable against you, Milwaukee. Yeah. We know you have Giannis. We know you have Drew. We know you won the title a couple of years ago, but we like the matchup against you guys. We have some options. We have huge advantages with the wings. And we think we can bring it to you guys tonight. Now, Bucks, five games in seven days. You let the whole thing, but they were home. I felt like the Celtics probably needed this more than the Bucks. What did you think? Like, do you, do you make anything out of this game or, or, or is it just whatever? No, there's definitely things to take from it. And and things we've seen before too, right? Like from the outset, 
this did for a moment feel like a playoff game. And I mean it that did. by the intensity, by the way it was officiated, and in the end, by the fact that the Bucks like could not hit threes. And we've seen that before from them, including against the Celtics in the playoffs. When they hit at a below average level, they tend not to win a lot of those games. They're very reliant on their guys hitting. Supporting cast, right. Chris and Drew, everybody. And so anytime they don't do that, they're going to be vulnerable. Anytime Boston runs this much, they're going to be vulnerable in that matchup. But yeah, this, this was a statement game. And it was a statement not only with the win and the dynamics we're talking about, but just like the carnage of it. You know, if you're Milwaukee, how do you get this kind of loss out of your head? The fact that if we don't come correct, if we don't get our shit straight in this matchup, this could happen to us at any time. And Boston's comfortable in Milwaukee. That's where they saved their season last year in game six. So even though Milwaukee's going to have home court, Boston at least knows that they can go in there. There was a couple moments with Joe, with Jason Tatum versus Joe Ingles tonight. And Joe Ingles was somebody who, coming off a major injury, but yet you think like he was a really good defensive player a couple years ago in Utah. Yeah. Um, oh, he'll be an interesting wrinkle for this matchup because Tatum's had a lot of success against this team. And Tatum was just blowing by him. And it was the combination, yeah, they were hitting threes, but their wings were blown by Milwaukee's wings. And I, I have a couple of Bucks fans in my life, including Ben Thompson, who's been on this podcast before from Stratechery. And he was just like, this has been Giannis's kryptonite team his entire career. Now, Ben, ben gets a little hysterical about the Bucs, but um, <laughs> Boston has always been pretty comfortable against the Bucs. The only time they lost them in the playoff series was the, the second Kyrie season. Um, came back, beat them last year. They beat them in 2019, I think. Uh, but the wings, if you're Milwaukee, is the thing you're afraid of against any playoff team because that's where they've patched up together. It's Jay Crowder, it's Joe Ingles, it's Connaughton, like Middleton coming off an injury who's been pretty good the last, I don't know, 15 games, although he got his mouth knocked tonight. God. But Boston, it, I would say Boston and the Clippers are probably the two teams if I'm Milwaukee that I'm going, ooh, well, they, there's one where we are definitely at a disadvantage at that one spot. Extremely challenging matchups there. And as you're saying, like they're getting blown by in some of those matchups. And to the point that, yeah, you have to maneuver it so that Drew is going to guard Tatum a lot of the time. You yeah. like that, but don't necessarily love it. But you look across those players you're describing, Ingles, Crowder, Grayson Allen, even Middleton, who's been good offensively, but isn't quite himself defensively yet. These aren't guys who are just going to like lock you down, stay in front of you at every step. What makes the Bucks elite defensively is the help. It's all about Brooke and Giannis. It's all about what they can provide mm -hmm. in support. And if you can push and just get out at least in, in, at least in semi-transition, like Jalen Brown did all game long, you can eat against this team. If, if you pick your spots and you play them well, and Boston has the exact kind of like athletic wings who can create and handle and shoot to do some of those things. To be clear, I still think Milwaukee, if I had to bet my life on a title team, I'm not even thinking twice. I'm betting on Milwaukee, and I'd probably, I picked Milwaukee-Denver before the season. I'll probably stick with that just to try to hit it, but Phoenix is looming now that Durant came back about a week sooner than I expected. He only played 60 minutes last night, but they're at least going to have a week to yep. indoctrinate him. So I'm not panicking about Milwaukee, but I thought they had a chance here with Boston coming off that Washington loss, Boston coming off some just bizarre losses in March where they're really, really, you can't, you wouldn't believe my texts that I'm on with some <laughs> of my friends. Boston, they lose that Nets game where they're up 28 and they lose by 10. They lose that stupid Knicks game 
that we're we're just it was just Marcus Smart just running them in the ground, Derek White on the bench. They lose that crazy Cavs game in OT that Grant Williams just has to hit a free throw and doesn't. Uh, they lose to the Rockets, who didn't even play well. No. Jalen Green was 8 for 29 in the game. They still lose by two. They lose a horrible Jazz game in the last minute where they're up 10, they're up 8, they're up 8 with four minutes left. They still manage to lose. And then the Wizards game Tuesday. Six losses that... Each loss just sent my my phone into a vibrating frenzy of hell for about an hour <laughs> with the people in my life. And yet the Celtics are still lingering. They're yeah. two back. They have the tiebreaker now. There's five games left. I sent you the Bucks schedule. Like both of them have to play the Raptors. The Bucks, none, none of their games left are easy. And they're going to have to go, I think, probably three and two. I don't know if the Celtics can go five and oh against their schedule and how erratic they've been. But at least the Bucks have to earn it now. Um, I'm not sure it matters because I think either team can win on either floor. Um, but it probably matters more for whatever the finals matchup would be for either team. But uh, but I just, every time the Celtics team where I feel like, that's it, fuck these guys, I'm out. And then I get sucked back in, Rob. Just keeps happening. Well, I mean, we're tapping into what makes this season so wild and so great which is Boston can be both of those teams. They can be the teams yeah. that, that loses to the Wizards. They can absolutely destroy the Bucs. The Bucs came into this game. They won 26 of their last 30 games, and they just got absolutely demolished. They just came off of another big loss to Denver. They also lost to Philly recently, a close one. Like They've lost some of these statement games that you would really want them to, to be like putting their imprint on their place in the league. They haven't been able to do that. And like the, this looming question of, the most dominant team in the league. And I'm with you on the Bucs. Like, they would be my pick, hands down, to win the whole thing, to win the East. They're flawed. Like, this is a flawed team that can be dominant and has one of the most dominant players in the league. But they're going to leave the door open for teams like the Celtics sometimes. They're going to leave the door open for Philly sometimes. And it is funny that we're getting to this stage where, honestly, the Raptors might decide who gets the top seed in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm thinking the door's open a little bit, especially with Boston winning the tiebreaker with this one. There is a chance for the Celtics to catch up and get the number one seed. I'm not as concerned about that for the finals or even for their head-to-head matchup, like a Celtics-Bucks playoff series. But who you get in the second round changes pretty dramatically if between one and two. Great point. Um, the Celtics have Utah Friday night at home. A team that seems like they've given up on the season. Yeah. I could totally see them beating the Celtics by 15. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Then they're at Philly on Tuesday, home Toronto, home Toronto, twice, Wednesday, Friday. Those are always weird. It feels like the team never wins both when it's like the two home games in a row. It feels like one of them gets funky. And then last game of the season, they're playing against Atlanta, a team that they've had. I I just feel like that's a good matchup for the Celtics. So it is conceivable they could run the slate, which would then force Milwaukee to go four and one. And the Milwaukee schedule as mentioned earlier, not like a, not like a barrel laughs. They have, let's see, home Philly Sunday at Washington. Yeah, that's easy. Home Chicago, home Memphis and at Toronto. And we don't know what happened to Chris Middleton because it looked like he lost some teeth. Like who knows? He might have some dental stuff. Um, Just spitting up blood all over the floor. Like, yeah, it was pretty. What happened to Chris Middleton is what happened to the Bucks in this game. There was just, there's a lot more viscera (laughs) than I was expecting. Uh, A couple other things 
that came out of this game. One, I think Tatum needed a game like this, especially in a national TV game, because he was probably the favorite to be the in the fourth spot for MVP, but he, he wasn't locking it down, especially after the All-Star break. And I think he needed a game like that where you just needed to watch Jason Tatum for two hours and go, oh, that guy's fucking awesome. So that happened. I think Giannis blew whatever chance he had for the MVP tonight. Mm. And I'm not saying this game changed the course of what would happen for the MVP, but I think he could have like climbed back in a little bit if he had just absolutely destroyed the Celtics or had one of his 45, 21 and eight with four blocks, like one of those like one man show games. I think he needed it to get back in because it feels like right now in FanDuel, Jokic and Embiid are both plus 110, which I thought was hilarious. We're, we're in a dead heat with nine days left. But I think Giannis could have climbed back in and we there could have been a narrative that came out of this. Like, well, they're the best team and he's the best guy. What are we doing, everybody? He just late. But it didn't happen. And he had, uh, you know, that was one of the worst games he's had. So I think he's out, right? Cross he's- him off. I don't know if you can fully cross him off, but it's going to be a really tough sell. He basically needed to pitch six perfect innings from now until the end of the season. And if he had dominant performances in all those games and the Bucks hit 60 wins, for example, yeah. then the argument you're describing becomes pretty compelling. But as it stands, you know, there's a reason why it feels like a dead heat and why in ESPN.com's straw poll, it is a dead heat right now between Jokic and Embiid. There, there's definitely much stronger constituencies for those two guys right now than Giannis. And games like this do not help. To be clear, both of us think he's the best player in the league, right? Agreed. Yeah. If we're if we're going into the playoffs with one player, we're picking him. So my my odyssey not... to get him to the top of the Ringers NBA rankings, I, I fail <laughs> yet again. I keep getting outvoted. Giannis is the number one player in the NBA. Bontemps did his uh, his latest straw poll, which really seems to have a lot of weight. Congrats to him for coming up with a good gimmick. I have no idea how he gets all these voters, but. Um, he had Embiid with 40 first place votes and Jokic with 42. But Embiid had slight had slightly more points just because he had more second place votes than Jokic did. And then Giannis was third with 18 first place votes, which I think is gonna dip now because um because I think people were kind of thinking he might make a run here and he didn't yeah. tonight. So that it feels like that car is finally like pulled off the highway. So now it's Embiid versus Jokic. I was more bothered by Embiid missing that Jokic game than others. I don't well, know, man. What was your it's, What was your gripe? I would have skipped the Saturday game and played the Monday game. That's For fair. all the talk and all the all the pushing out of the Philly side, right, with the organization, with the fans, all that stuff, and the chess being puffed out all year about Embiid, you kind of have to play in that game. And they did a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. And I don't know if his calf was spent. Maybe he tweaked it during that game. I don't know. But I just, I thought he needed to be in that game. And I thought he really could have made a statement. And the only reason I I mentioned it is because he's already made it clear to all of us how important it is to him. Yeah. And if it was that important to you, I don't know, maybe show up in that game. So I think he did leave the door open for Jokic a little bit. And Jokic has also been lights out the last couple weeks. They had that little, little dip, but now it feels like they're right in the ship. And yet you watch Phoenix last night, even for the 16 minutes that uh, Durant played. And, you know, I, that I just Phoenix Denver round two is going to be a nightmare. Um, 
so right now I have a dead heat, Jokic and Embiid. I'm not leaning either way. Are you at this point? I don't really have a strong lean. And that's, I mean, I gotta, I gotta sit down. I gotta sit down and figure it out. I gotta clear my schedule. Honestly, I was really hoping to get some kind of piece of clarifying information from that matchup, to just see them go head-to-head one yeah. more time. Not that it's going to swing the whole race, but it's good to see those guys match up against each other. So it's a bummer from that perspective to not have that as a viewer, as a fan of the league, as someone who's just looking forward to that game, but also as a voter. And I, I'm trying to figure out what to do with these two guys. But I, for me, it has narrowed to them too. Like for me, Giannis is, is separate yeah. in third. And fourth and fifth is, I mean, you make a great point about Tatum, but Shea, you know, Shea has made a strong case to be on a lot of ballots. Luka is obviously going to get a lot of support for four or five. Those are interesting spots I think Luka, in themselves. I think Luka's out for me. You think he's just off your ballot? He's off my ballot, yeah. Just because like, Reggie Bullock can't hit threes? For me. You know, like, he's, he's doing all the Luka's stuff. It's just guys don't hit shots. The defense is bad. I don't know. He's still pretty yeah, great. His defense is bad. I mean, his defense is very bad. His defense is the worst it's ever been, and it's been bad for the whole second half of the season. And there's some body language stuff with him too that I just, I just fundamentally don't like. Like yeah. last night that Philly game, they're trying to climb back. I think they're down five with like a minute left, and Hardaway ends up with the ball on the right side. Does the weird Tim Hardaway thing where he's like, "I got this, guys," and drives right into Embiid, chucks it against the backboard, and Luca was in the corner and did the. The second long freeze pause, disgusted, <laughs> jog back. And I was like, that's not good. That's that's the kind of stuff the body language doctor does not like. No. Um, but they've had a lot of those this season. Like, they're really spotty. And I, I mean, I know they can't rebound. I know they can't guard anybody. But he's the best player in the team, and he's the worst defensive player in the team. You know, there's a million Jokic stats now that they're coming out of the woodwork about how bad he is defending the rim, all this stuff. But at least he tries and gives a shit and throws his body in things. He's just, he's got some challenges, but I always feel like he gives a shit for the most part. There's a couple of times he doesn't run back, but sure. Luca to me just feels like he's a DH this season. And, you know, I think I've been really critical in the past of, you know, LeBron's had some seasons the last couple of years where I just feel like when he was, almost a Pippen level defender in his peak. And he's just kind of thrown away that side of the, of the court for the most part, because he's conserving energy for the offense. Harden, same thing. His defense has been abominable at times. And I think Luca, I, the stuff we've seen from him this season is just awful. He, he's, I, you don't know who to put him on. It's not like he can guard bigger guys or smaller guys. He really hurts them. So if I, if I'm saying like, I'm going to fill out an MVP ballot, you, your team has a below 500 record and you're abominable on one side of the floor. I don't know if yeah. I can get there. And, and the intangible stuff is real, right? Like the body language stuff is more than just one glimpse in one national game. It's a consistent problem. And it's one of those things with great players where oftentimes he's not wrong to react that way in the same way that when Draymond Green gets in an argument with a teammate, often they will say, actually, he was right. But there's a matter yeah. of like how you're navigating that situation and rolling your eyes at your teammates missing another shot when you're Luka Doncic. And yes, you did everything to create that shot. And yes, it was wide open. Sometimes you just got to hold back and, and you got to right. do things and you have to swallow things in that moment and get back on defense. And the constant bitching at the refs, I think he's number one this season. With a bullet. For who's bitching and barking at the refs the most. And no just question. Is constantly just never ends. There's just that... 
there's an unhappy vibe with him just this whole season that was a little unusual for him. I know he's got stuff going off uh, on off the court. He's involved with some branding lawsuit potential thing with his mom. And I look, man, everybody's had rough years. But when you're talking about, it's not like that team, I don't love the supporting cast. I don't think it's very good. But it's not, it's not atrocious, you know? Like in the West with how many injuries there's been and and I don't know, I just, I can't do it. But, you know, one of the things with the MVP ballot is I had Fox more valuable than Sabonis, but then I see other people a lot of other people think Sabonis is the MVP candidate on that team, not Fox. So I'm like, am I looking at this wrong? Because <laughs> I really value the clutch stuff with Fox. But then there's other cases like Sabonis. He's a mismatch. He makes everybody better. Um, he's he's a durable big guy in a league where no dur- no big guys are durable. And I could see that case too. So I almost wonder if they're going to nullify each other out. Just what greater sign of our times than the Kings giving you an existential crisis with your MVP ballot? <laughs> right. Wait a second. I think I'm dead. Wait, am I alive? Unreal. I see a creek and flowers. I think I'm dead. Um, <laughs> all right. We're going to come back and talk. We we There's a bunch of West playoff stuff going on, but uh, we want to talk about Philly too. So let's take a break quick. Grand Slams, no-hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash BS, sign up, place your first bet, get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If you don't win, I would just short the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> It's not a good team. Maybe maybe bet the other team against the Red Sox with the over of runs in any game, and you're probably good to go. Don't miss your, your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash BS to sign up. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wage or only $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days of restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here. In Massachusetts, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLE or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. In Connecticut, call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Louisiana, 877-770-STOP. In Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. In Wyoming, 800-522-4700. In West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader 
right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, so we're going to talk about Philly, but I want to talk about it in the context, something I texted you today. We've said all year that the East was better than the West and the East had a better record against the West this year. And just in general, we've talked about the East a little bit more and it's like, oh, look at the West. What a dumpster fire. Oh my God, it's so bad. Oh, Sacramento might be too seed. I look at it now. I think the West is better than the East. I think they have more dangerous teams in the West. The East, the, the arrows pointing down for a lot of the teams. The Knicks, I felt a lot better about them a month ago. I felt a hundred times better about Philly a month ago. Um, you see Brooklyn going down. There's some sh- Chicago, Toronto playing friskiness, but you can't take it seriously. Miami looks like dog shit. And I, I don't know if they're rope-a-doping me to get getting confidence <laughs> against them for the 2-7 matchup with the Celts, but whatever. The Celts certainly have been as good this month, although I think them and Milwaukee have the two best odds. But I was looking at FanDuel. Milwaukee, Boston have the two best finals odds. Eight of the next 10 teams are West teams. And in general, like Phoenix, Denver, Memphis is playing better. Golden State, if Wiggins comes back, we know we'll take all of them seriously. Um, you go on and on. There's probably six teams that I could see in the finals. Can we say now that the West is at least even with the East? Okay, it depends on how we want to measure it, right? Because one through three, the East is better. Are, are we in agreement on that? Like Milwaukee, like Milwaukee, I guess, at least in terms of seeding, it depends on how you want to classify Phoenix because honestly, Phoenix could be the best number four seed of all time if they enter into the playoffs more or less healthy. Hard to imagine a more compelling four seed than that. But in terms of seeding, one through three feels like the East. Four through 12 is probably better in the West. 13 to 15 to the extent that it matters. Yeah, who cares? Is, you know, not really really a factor in this play. But there was an interesting stat from John Schumann of NBA.com this week that basically from 1999 until 2021, the West had a winning record against the East in 21 of those 22 seasons. And the the last two years, it shifted a little bit to the East. Certainly notable. But as you're saying, like if if you're better in one conference, four through 10 or four through 12, how we're measuring this stuff, I don't know. Like I don't think the eighth best team in the West is going to win the championship, but there's just more good teams in the West. Yeah, if you're going top two against top two, I think Boston and Milwaukee have a slight advantage over, I'm going to say Denver and Phoenix. If I just had to rank who I think is most likely to make the finals, sure. I'm going to put Phoenix second because Durant's back now and I think they have to be taken the most seriously. But then you go Philly against that Memphis thing. Like, what am I getting from Philly? The disheartened thing, we watched them stay healthy three and a half months. I had him second team all NBA at one point. Then he disappears. So I was got a calf, lower body injury yet again. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know this Embiid calf thing. What's going Mm -hmm. on there? Is he starting to break down? They put big miles on him in the games he played. He's playing, you know, 36, 37 minutes a game. I don't feel as good about that team. Like they kind of have to show it to me. Now they might luck out in round one because they might get Brooklyn that even though that's going to be a weird matchup and there's like a whole universe where Jacques Vaughn just 
as a Norman Dale in that series and just is swarming Embiid with <laughs> interchangeable six, seven wings. He's got 20 of them. But yeah, let's be honest, that's if you're them, you'd rather play that team than Miami. That's probably why they're not that concerned about the two seed. Yeah. So anyway, I just feels like Philly's lost momentum at the worst possible time. You agree? Yeah, they they've built a pretty strong case over the course of the year. And they've really built it based on Embiid and Harden's two-man game, based on the defense, based on the supporting cast really finding their roles really effectively. And for Harden and Embiid to both have soft tissue leg injuries coming down the stretch, right. notoriously hard to beat, especially when you're playing consistent games. I mean, look, it's concerning. Like the, Embiid looked like at least like he was taking it a little bit easy against the Mavericks Last the other night. night. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I get that. And he, and he turned it up when it mattered and he made every big play when it mattered. What I'm curious about is to see him in the games where you don't have that luxury, where you're not playing against a team like Dallas, where you have to go all out basically every minute you're out there. And if you're Philly, you need him out there an awful lot. Does he have that in him? Does Harden, who said he's basically been dealing with this injury on and off all year, does he have that in him? Like th Those two guys are just so critical and for both of them to have that at the same time where it's not even a matter of like, okay, Embiid can shoulder more because Harden can't or vice versa. Look, playoff runs have been have gone completely off the rails for much less than that. So I, I'm, I'm a little worried about them at this point. And that was always the reason not to take that team too seriously as a contender is could those two guys stay healthy for 10 straight weeks when it mattered? Yeah. They play Toronto on, uh, on Friday, tomorrow. That's home. Then they go home for the Bucks on Sunday, home for the Celtics on Tuesday, home for the Heat on Thursday, at Atlanta, finish against the Nets. There's a world where we feel great about Philly in five days, six days, and there's a world where, where all of a sudden there's pulsating red flags everywhere. I have a Philly fan in my life who's convinced they're trying to tank to get to the four seed, who's also semi-insane. Um, <laughs> it's a good qualifier. But... They are three ahead of Cleveland in the loss column. I don't, I don't see it. I think they're probably stuck at three. But maybe because they're stuck at three, maybe they could experiment and really try to rest these guys. But well, Especially if, like, given that they have head-to-head -head matchups with their biggest rivals in the conference, they just might not feel super compelled to show their best stuff anyway. And like, let's not give anyone another shot at Joel Embiid to figure out like where to run the double team at him from which direction and which matchup. Let's just kind of play everything a little bit slow. Let's take our time. Mm. Let's ease him and Harden through these games or in and out of these games as, as, as we need to. You could easily see that for Philly down the stretch. They, they just don't need every game at this point in the way that Milwaukee and Boston might want every game. I learned this 10 years ago when I was doing Countdown. The Knicks kind of peaked in mid-March. I think we started multiple shows with can the Knicks win the title? And we got all excited and a little five-minute package and going around the circle, talking, oh, look at the three-point shooting. You never want to peak in mid-March. And there, there's that one team every year that peaks in mid-March. It might be Philly, it might not, but I really liked what I was seeing more from them two weeks ago. And I do think they put a lot of miles on Embiid in those games that where he was, especially when he was averaging 35, 36 a game forever. Um, now, there's no perfect way to do this. The Celtics went the other way and they were just, you know, you can tell in the first quarter what team I'm getting. It's bizarre. It's like having twin brothers. It's like tonight against the Milwaukee. And I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> the good team showed up tonight. This is great. They're driving to the basket. They they have cohesion. Um, so you never know with this stuff. That the Cleveland piece of this, where they're locked into the four seed. So Boston and Philly are gonna miss them, and Milwaukee's sitting there at the uh at the one seed almost positively. Um yep. against that Cleveland team. Now, they don't have the wings like that. Probably Cleveland's biggest weakness is the Milwaukee strength, which is please don't have good wings, and then we can get everything else. So I would think that's a good match. You don't see there. You don't see a world where Cleveland actually throws some haymakers at Milwaukee, do you? I mean, I think there's a world, but Milwaukee should still be a strong favorite in that series. But there's enough interesting, like little micro matchups, right? Like the Donovan Mitchell versus Drew Holiday matchup is going to be an all timer. That's going to be incredible yeah. to watch. We're going to see what Evan Mobley's got, a guy that we've talked about and praised a lot on this podcast. Like, we're going to throw him into the fire in the highest, like, highest pressure, like, lowest, a, a matchup that's the lowest threshold to make mistakes in a guy like Giannis. I don't know that the Cavs are up for all that, but their chance to win that series is not zero, right? Like, they have a good enough defense. They are dyna just dynamic enough that if Milwaukee has enough bad shooting nights, they could make it a series. But there's a reason why you want to play Cleveland instead of Philadelphia, you know? Even with all of the concern trolling we're doing about Philly, all the concern you could have in the world about Joel and James Harden's health, I am i don't want any part of that. I don't want to play Joel Embiid in a playoff series if I have any ability to pick and choose. Is concern trolling? Do you make that up or is that no. an actual phrase? Oh, no, that's an actual phrase. We, we're, okay. We've been out here concern trolling teams for concern ages. Concern trolling. <laughs> that's a good one. All right, let's walk through this really quick. Okay. Cleveland, Milwaukee, round two. Yeah. Give me one Mitchell game where he just hits like 10 threes. Give me one game where the Bucks don't show up like they did tonight. So there's two Cavs wins. Is there a Giannis like foul trouble game? Could be. Is there one crazy Garland game? I think that's a tough just matchup to get for the Garland. Four wins for them. I mean, I think Mitchell would have to have the series of his life, to be honest with you. And he's had some great playoff series. He's shown that he's capable of that in contained stretches, certainly. But he yeah. would have to be going off all the so time. So we need two Mitchell games. I think so. We need the Bucks no show game, and just try to get it to seven, and then in seven maybe one of the Mitchell games. Yeah, I I don't think they're ready yet. Probably not. But and the you may get more than one Bucks no-show game, at least in terms of things yeah. like the shooting, right? Like, again, in that series against the Celtics, they shot like 20-something percent in several of those games. They, in, in game seven, the Bucks shot 12% from three. You know, like those games are possible for Milwaukee and they might win some of them with defense anyway. Like they have that in them as well, but I don't know. Like you, you really just can't count on the Bucks three-point shooters to always be there. It's going to be Giannis that's more or less always there. It's going to be some of the mid-range stuff from Chris Middleton. It's going to be Brooke Lopez's like new and improved driving game is going to work against most opponents, but sometimes the shots are not going to go and that's going to leave Cleveland some options. Who are you voting for a defensive player of the year? Have you thought about it? I've thought about it. Uh, I might abstain. I'm just out. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a choice. Vote. I'm going to roll it over to next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like skin, skins and golf. I'm rolling it over. I don't have, I don't have a candidate this year, guys. Sorry. Uh, I'm leaning Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, mm. I think he's awesome. I think you know, for his great... Brooke Lopez is probably like the closest runner-up for me. Brooke has so much more defensive support than Jaron Jackson Jr. does, where in Memphis, 
you know, there's uh, there's some defensive liabilities on that team. There's yeah. a lot of guys who you're kind of carrying and shouldering. And for someone who can cover as well as Jaron can, who can block shots in so many ways, who can affect releases all over the floor, I think he does something that basically no one else does. And I think it's pretty unique and it's it's really carried Memphis into a pretty special place defensively this season. I probably can't get there with Lopez despite the uh, the stats. No. So it's it's looking like Jackson. I might do the fuck you Drew Holiday boat just because I because uh, I love Drew Holiday and just be like fuck it. Who's gonna come at me that I voted for Drew Holiday? He's the best <laughs> Absolutely no one. in the league. Um, everybody loves Drew Holiday. Let's talk about the West really quick. One thing I was thinking about today: if the Lakers get the eight seed and we end up with Suns Clippers, there's a world. Games three and four, round one, Durant. Booker, Chris Paul, and Jokic all in town for like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, wow. Sunday, Monday. Four home games, game three and game four. Maybe even some in the same days, but it could be like the 72-hour, four playoff games, six of the most famous players we've had in the last 20 years all just passing through. <laughs> um, and same thing with a game six, if either of those went game six, where you could have like back-to-back nights of... Suns, Clippers, Denver Lakers. Um, I just started getting excited about it because I've been out here 20 years and only a couple times have we even had both teams in the playoffs, which seems crazy, but it's it's true. And one of the years was the was the bubble season. So, I mean, that was probably the best chance to have both of them potentially even meet in the conference finals and we didn't even have it. So I got excited about that because, you know, both teams are in those series too. It's not like it's the year that they played the 2019 Warriors and the Clippers like, oh, it's amazing. They won two games off the Warriors. Like the Clippers could hang with that Suns team. I don't know what to expect from them. They've Durant's been on the team for a week. Oh. Um, and then the Lakers, our guy Chris Mannix today just fucking threw his <laughs> dick on the table. He did a, a Lakers are going to win the West column. He doesn't usually do stuff like that. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous. Obviously, I love you, Chris, but uh, I don't see it. I just don't. I don't see those guys staying healthy for six weeks. Would be my my counter to the column. Are you telling me you're going to get six straight weeks out of AD and LeBron? And that's six, what you need to make the finals. And six straight weeks weeks of like good D'Angelo Russell. Every other factor right. breaking in your favor, in addition to some of these other teams in the West melting down. I I just don't have enough confidence in anything in that situation. But honestly, you you've piqued my curiosity about this. Like Cryptopalooza going on potentially games. You're coming, so you're coming. You're coming to LA. The question is not, am I coming? It's, do we leave or do we just like (laughs) camp out on the grounds and we just stay there for days on end? Interesting. Like it's like a music festival. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the West playoffs are awful, and this year I could, I would love going to any of these games. Like Sacramento is going to have at least three home games, maybe even four in round one. And those, that crowd's going to be out of their mind. Like awesome. talk about, talk about a crazy, that'll be the single craziest crowd we have. And unfortunately it's probably going to be against Golden State unless, uh, unless the Timberwolves continue to get frisky, which is possible. But Golden State, Sacramento, that just feels like a big brother, little brother thing. On the other hand, I don't know if you've noticed this, it's in the air. The, I want to play the the Kings. Sure. Now, like it's out there. There's it's chip on the shoulder time, Rob Mahoney. 
Mike I mean, Brown writing stuff on the blackboard, just <laughs> writing down quotes he saw in, in podcasts and on blogs. I mean, Draymond tried to caveat wanting to play the Kings by saying it was for travel reasons. But I feel like if you are yeah. Mike Brown in this situation, you you hit it with the ellipses. You don't you don't include the travel reasons when you're throwing it up on the bulletin board. You just let you just dot 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 it. You just doctor the quote a tiny bit. You know, it, it's not fundamentally changing the meaning. They are choosing to want to play you, but I don't know. Honestly, like, so uh, the Ringers' own Logan Murdoch and I were talking about this today, about the potential Kings-Warriors matchup. Yeah. I kind of think the Kings can win that series. and I don't think that's a good Warriors for matchup for the Warriors. I don't love it. I, I Just not really loving where their defense has been all year, Golden State's. Yeah. I wouldn't want any part of trying to slow down Sacramento. And I, I think they could get, they could really get in trouble because the Kings are a team that can withstand a big Warriors run, a huge Steph game, they can survive some of those things because they're going to score with you. I I think Sacramento would have a real shot in that series. Kyle, turn the camera on. So we could have the possibility of Sacramento round one beating Big Brother Golden State. Like this is the TV show where one guy's the billionaire and the other guy's been in and out of rehab and moved back <laughs> into the, to the pool house and then all of a sudden they switch fortunes. Round two, Memphis, winnable. But then what about round three, if they could somehow get there and then it, it and then it's somehow the Lakers, the team that ripped their heart out in 2002, along with the referees, yeah. the team that every Kings fan hates fundamentally deep down with every, every <laughs> ounce of their skin and bones. And that was the team waiting for them in round three. And you could go through <laughs> the Warriors and the Lakers in the same playoff run. I mean, the odds of this are 100 to 1, but I just had to mention it. I know you want some playoff justice for the Kings, them getting their shot against the Lakers. I do. The Lakers aren't making it that far. It's, it's no, just not, not happening. But I would, not. I would love to see it. And the Memphis matchup as, as a second rounder for Sacramento, pretty interesting. Memphis is really good, but they've quietly, like Golden State, also been awful on the road over the course of yeah. this season. Sacramento, pretty viable anywhere. Like their offense travels pretty well. I wouldn't count them out of that, you know? How about this? Are we sure Memphis is making it out of round one if it's Memphis, Minnesota? Ouch. Continue Ouch. to be impressed by Minnesota. They played really well. They, I mean, they look like a real playoff team, which was not always the case earlier in this season. So Minnesota is showing some impressive things, even in some losses, like really fighting their way through some games. And look, I will take all of the Minnesota versus Memphis chaos that we can get. We've seen yeah. this playoff matchup before. It was an absolute treat. I'll, I'll take as much as you want to serve me. Here's the thing, though. The Conley-Russell thing has been just so unbelievable for Minnesota. Conley's kind of having a moment again. Yeah. It's a little like uh, one of those older actors who you haven't thought about, like Jamie Lee Curtis being in everything everywhere all at once. Like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis, good for her. Uh, Conley, same thing where... You know, it it just didn't seem like he was going to have a relevant playoff basketball moment again. Then there was stuff like he might get traded to the Lakers. Or the, who knows? But now he's on this Minnesota team and he's played great. And I feel like he's semi-rejuvenated Gobert. Have you watched some of this Gobert stuff? And I think a big reason is Conley's just looking for him and thinking about him. And then, I don't know, man, I, as you know, I'm not a huge Towns fan, but those two threes he hit against Golden State, I thought, I thought that was kind of a moment. Those were really big shots. They weren't Huge. easy shots. And uh, I thought that was a good win. I just, I like what I'm seeing from them. 
And then the Edwards, Edwards is like kind of the Western Conference Mobley, right? Where he's probably not ready yet, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he laid the smack down for like two nights in a row and just swung a series. That's the thing. If he's ready in two games of a series or three games of a yeah. series, it could really swing something. But you're right about the Wolves overall. And look, you, you may not be thinking about Mike Conley, but what, I guess whatever the equivalent of like the weirdo who has the Jamie Lee Curtis shrine in his house is, that's me yeah. with Mike Conley. I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm Mike Conley all, all day, all the time over here. So I'm thrilled to see him get this. And I think he's looked rejuvenated too. It's not just a matter of helping Gobert He's coming up with defensive plays he really hasn't made in a couple of years. You know, Conley's dealt with injury stuff. He's getting to a different stage in his career. He's looked really good. He's given them exactly what he's what the Wolves have needed. And on Gobert's part, especially defensively, I think some of it is Conley and a, a guard who will get everyone in the right spots and just like manage things differently than Russell will. I think part of it too is having a team that's a little bit better equipped defensively so that it's yeah. not all on you all the time. It's very easy as a big to just get completely dispirited when guys are getting blown by, no one can contain, everything is about your help. And Conley's on-ball defense has been good. Jaden McDaniels is an all-defense candidate this season. Edwards comes and goes a little bit, but has really strong moments. Kyle Anderson's played really good defense. Edwards has it in him. Yeah, He definitely has it in him. But overall, they've just been more stout on-ball, on the perimeter, containing guys. And so... I mean, if I imagine Rudy Gobert is thrilled with that result, given, given again, where the Wolves started and how bad their defense has looked and leaky at some stages in the season, both defensively and on the glass. They look like a totally different team rebounding the ball. You didn't even mention my number five MVP on my ballot, Nas Reed. Of course. That's, I'm just going to make him. If I can't come up with number five, <laughs> I'm just putting Nas Reed. I'm going to be the one guy where it's like, wait, who voted for Nas Reed? That was Simmons. It's a protest vote. Um, I think that Minnesota team is really freaky. And when you take out Brandon Clark and the possibility of not having Adams as well, you know, I love the Memphis top four, but there's history with those two teams. Yeah. Not an easy one. Now, the other thing is they could, they could lose the seven, eight plan and go into the eight, nine plan and end up playing Denver where, um, that's a weird one because they would just have a bunch of big dudes to throw a Jokic. Right, they'd at least be able to. I don't know. They'd be they, throwing them at them. Like, would it right, do, would yeah, it do anything? Maybe it would work. Yeah, maybe it would work. I wouldn't bet on that. On paper, though, those four matchups are unbelievable. Like, I, I this might be it. I might actually get divorced during these during this first <laughs> round. This could be it, or at least it could be a trial separation. I, I just, I'm not missing any of these games. There's not a single series. Other than maybe Milwaukee versus the Atlanta Toronto, which will be the MBT. Milwaukee versus blank is going to be our NBA TV special. That'll be our <laughs> seven o'clock yeah. start. Announcers you've never heard of. Halftime, a pregame show of people you're surprised they're doing playoff games. But other than that, just the tour de force. Denver Lakers, Memphis, Minnesota, Sacramento Golden State, Phoenix Clippers. That's fucking awesome. Those four, if we can get that, which means we won't. Something well, will get screwed up. But this is the East versus West con- like conversation in a nutshell. The second yeah. round in the East is going to be diabolical. Just like really yeah. great every night basketball. But the first round in the West, just like how many of these teams are competitive, are viable, have contrasting styles where they can push each other in ways that, for example, Minnesota can with some of these teams. 
man, it, I love the way it's staggered out that way. And that's not to say that we're not going to get great series in the East first round or the West second round, just like falling through the cracks and turn out that way. But that we have this baseline expectation where we're going to get really good matchups across the board every single round. I'm loving it. I mean, the first weekend of NBA playoff basketball, that's the best weekend in sports. Like keep, yeah. keep March Madness, keep whatever football weekend, like I guess it'd be the Super Bowl or the NCAA championship. Save it. Like I want my four games a day from the minute I wake up until the minute I go to bed. We didn't mention how Randall sprained his ankle and he's out at least two weeks. Yeah. And the two weeks overlap with the potentially, I guess he could be back for that weekend, but not great and makes it even more enticing to play the Knicks in round one. Looked really painful too. I mean, I, it's, it's two weeks and that might be optimistic. You know, he may need more time than that. Yeah, we've learned not to trust, not to trust these people when they tell us how long it's going to take. <laughs> trust no one. All right. So action-packed day. I have yet again flipped my uh, opinion on the Celtics. I haven't really. This is, this is who they are. This is what they do. But mm-hmm. I will say, I do like that their switch, their on-off switch is a really, really, really good team that looks like a championship-level team. So they have yes. that. How many teams, before we go, how many teams do you think had that switch? Because like, I don't think the, the Lakers as good as they've been time no. to time. I don't feel like they have a championship switch. To me, it's Milwaukee and Boston. Maybe Philly if they're healthy. I, Denver, I, I just don't know anybody in the West that they even have that ability. Denver can be really good, but I, ne- I always feel like I don't really think of it as a switch. Like they, they yeah, just, I don't either. They just have just to be good. on. They have to be on. Yeah. They have to be healthy. Their guys have to be dialed in. They don't, you know, right now they have, they've had some slack to play with in the standings just because they had so much of a lead. But we saw it catch up to them pretty fast and they started losing yeah. to some really bad teams. So I guess they do have a switch in that sense. But I think of them as a team that their baseline has to be pretty high. In the West, in terms of like switch flipping teams, I think of Phoenix. I think of the Phoenix Clippers. And Golden State. I think yeah. I mean Golden State, what they did to New Orleans, that was yeah. that was criminal. That you know? second half was crazy. They yeah. just stole they stole the Pelican's soul in that game. And yeah. Golden State does have that in them. I don't really trust a lot of what they do night to night, but they've got that gear. They they've got some of the best lineups and best combinations in basketball. It's just a matter of like, can they harness that as many times as it's gonna take to get all the way through the West? I think the Clippers could beat the Suns. You think so? I do. Um, I, I, that doesn't mean they will, but I think that, you know, the, the la- last thing and then we'll go is just there, there's a really fun Kawhi versus KD. Oh, that'd be awesome. To that where it's like, yeah, the, for the forward position, the 21st, 21st century belonged to LeBron and then Durant's probably the number two choice, but then Kawhi hit this level that even you know, KD never hit. And we just kind of, we just kind of get to file that away when we start thinking. Now, KD gave an interview today where he's like, I don't care about legacy. I don't, don't talk about that. We compare people too much. Um, I don't know. What, how do we have podcasts if we didn't compare players? Like, <laughs> we got to fill airtime here, Kevin. Yeah, come you know? on. KD, get, cut us some slack. But uh, Kawhi versus KD for at least the last 15 years at the forward position, those are probably the two guys, right? Well, I, mean, I, I, I guess Giannis is in there, but I don't even know what position Giannis is. I don't know. Yeah. What is he? I, he? I mean, he's technically just a big man, I guess. He's a Giannis, you know? He, he's yeah, he's, he's, he's really in his own group. But the fact that we could get 
if all goes according to plan with Paul George's recovery, you know, you get KD and Kawhi, or sorry, KD and Kawhi, and you get Paul George and Devin Booker trying to chase each mm. other around in the same first round series. Again, just like an embarrassment of riches we could have if some of these guys can get and stay healthy. That's really all we're hoping for between now and the end. Is like, can we get some of these teams intact over the finish line? Also, Chris Paul against the Clippers. Oh, yeah. Russell Westbrook against the against Durant. And against Chris Paul, who we always like loved playing. They always had a little thing. And Westbrook like beat him in 2014. He was better than him in that series, which is a tough when you when you're doing the Chris Paul mosaic. Yeah. The 2014 is a really tough one. And Westbrook was better in that series. You All know right. what? Maybe Kevin Durant is right. Maybe we don't need the legacy talk for that. Like our storylines overfloweth, as you're saying. Like there's so many yeah. wrinkles to a series like that. Maybe we can get it through it without the legacy talk. KD loves it. I hate when he does stuff like that. Nobody loves basketball more than KD, and nobody is in more conversations where we talk about players. Like, he knows this is... He loves chopping it up. KD. Come on, you love chopping up. All right, Rob Mahoney, we will uh, read you on TheRinger.com. See you on The Ringer NBA show as well. Good to see you as artists. Thanks for uh, staying up with us. Of course. Thanks, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a word winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, from the Ringer Wrestling Show, my old friend, David Shoemaker, WrestleMania this weekend. I don't remember how many times you've come on and talk WrestleMania with me, but this is another one. It's a big one. It's LA. It's one of the biggest ones ever. Two days. There's a lot of off-the-ring drama. There's mm -hmm. sale rumors. We have no idea if Vince McMahon is involved. What is, what is the biggest story for you? Well, we're we're about a decade of me and you talking about WrestleMania together, so that's pretty crazy to think about. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the outside of the ring drama is 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 definitely looming this week, right? There's a lot of people who've been theorizing where we have info on WWE getting sold, like as soon as like during WrestleMania weekend or as soon as it's over. Um, you know, in terms of what's going on in the ring, there's a lot of drama there, too. I mean, the, the main event on Sunday night is 
Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. And Roman has basically just been the anchor of this whole company now for a long time. I mean, he's been unified champion for a year, but, you know, he's held one of these belts for a thousand days. And um, and in terms of storyline, it seems impossible. You know, the question is, will he ever be deposed? But even in real life, you're thinking, how long could they just keep leaning on this guy? How long until this guy gets to take a vacation? Um, is it time to move on to a new face like Cody Rhodes? You know, there's a, there's a lot of big questions looming. So the odds are Cody Rhodes is going to win the title and that's what was promised to him when he left AEW and they were setting up and then his peck exploded all over the place and it got delayed for six months. It's unusual for them to have a champion for a thousand days. They like to mix it up. Yeah, but I mean, when you when you get even nearly that far, you don't think about losing, you know, the guy losing the title at a random episode of Raw. I mean, he's going to lose a title at a thing like WrestleMania, right? So even yeah. if this was the plan... Uh, despite the tech, the, the the pec tear for Cody Rhodes, I think this was probably where we were supposed to end up. How's um, your pec tear? Is your pec tear better? What well, happened? My pec's doing okay. Your you pecs know? are I'm, good. Your pec's I, I, still I, good. I, heading into I, a two nighter. I had to adjust to a little bit of more of a low impact ring style, but uh, but everything so far, it, it feel good today. Um, you mentioned that they might get sold. There's lots of rumors about this right now. Nick Khan was thrown out. He was on, he was already on this podcast. He was on podcasts. He was on First Take Today. He was on mm -hmm. a bunch of different shows doing the whole face of the company thing, which was interesting because Stephanie is just out now, I guess. Mm -hmm. But they weren't using Triple H as the face either. So for now, it's Nick Khan. I just, what what are they trying to accomplish with all this stuff? Would it, like from a big picture face of the WWE to the public standpoint, why have Nick Khan be the guy that's out there doing all the interviews? What do you think their uh, reasoning is? Well, to, in my my opinion is that when you're trying to curry favor with wrestling fans or with just sort of people like me who who are really in, interested in the the sort of inner workings of the creative process, that's when you put Triple H out there. He's a longtime wrestling fan. He could talk about growing up watching whoever on TV, and he can talk about the thought process and of making a creative decision, whatever. But when your audience is like companies, CEOs, executives who might be putting in a bid for your company, oh. then that's when you bring out somebody like Nick Khan, who, who his number one objective out there would then be present the face of someone you would love to work with, right? right. Someone who you think could be an asset to your company in a way that even bigger than the acquisition of WWE would be. Look how great we're doing. Look how confident this guy seems. Mm-hmm. And look yeah, how great, and we have a whole two day event in LA. It's going to be awesome. We're and taking over. We're taking over Los Angeles for a week. It's not two days. I mean, we. I, I got out of here on Tuesday. They've had. They've had important stuff to do every day of the week. What What have you done so far? Well, you know, do interview interviews with wrestlers, but they just keep the whole thing. You know, there was a time when I first started covering wrestling at Grantland. Yeah, you know, you, there was all these indie wrestling events that sort of were spat, scattered throughout the week. I remember I was in Miami and went to the first like WrestleFest and got some autographs or whatever. And then more and more stuff outside of WWE started springing up around WrestleMania. And a few years yeah. ago, WWE just made the decision, well, we're taking this back. There's still all the other stuff. It's still going on. But WWE plans the schedule, packs the schedule pretty tight with their own stuff now. They have two nights of WrestleMania. You know, they have SmackDown on Friday. The Hall of Fame is after SmackDown. NXT is Saturday morning. And then they got Monday Night Raw the night after WrestleMania. And it's all, you know, right here. They're just taking over. Yeah, I'm thinking like the evolution of this from when I was a nerdy teenager and WrestleMania 1 was one of the highlights of my year because oh, I didn't yeah. have a girlfriend. Um, and they were on the cover <laughs> of Sports Illustrated and Mr. T and Hulk hosted SNL. 
Uh-huh. And they had done a proof of concept with the MTV, the the battle, the score to settle the whatever the, the hell war it was. to settle the, the score. And the war brawl dance at all. There are two different ones, but yeah. Yeah, Cindy Lauper. And they, and so they test drove it and then they actually went and they did it. And it was super exciting. It was also exciting that you could watch it from from home. Like they, it was the early days of pay-per-view. Some people mm-hmm. had to go to the theater, closed circuit to get it. It was closed circuit then, for the first one, yeah. Yeah, and then to watch it evolve over the years, peaking, or some would say cratering, with the seven-hour WrestleMania at uh, Giant Stadium that I, I think people just died in the seats. I think they were just dead corpses being pulled off of their chairs at in hour eight. And clearly something had to change. It had become too big for itself. And the two-night event thing was really smart. And I think it works. I like yeah. it. I didn't even, I was living in Brooklyn at the time and didn't go to Giant Stadium for that one and and was glad that I didn't. I was watching on my friend's couch and we weren't friends by the end of that. That's how long that show was. <laughs> but the, but, he asked uh, you for rent. Yeah. Uh, I, we, we've been saying, we've been saying for a while they needed to go to two nights and it was good yeah. that they finally did. I mean, now it's, you know, especially when you're in a city like LA and it's like, you know, a journey to get to the stadium, it would be the same thing in New York, you know, and it, it does become a, like a real marathon weekend. But it's exciting, too, you know, and they they I mean, Nick Khan was on first take today unveiling the lineups for the two nights like that gets to be its own drama. You know, Devastating. Like every- I'm only going Saturday. The oh, my guy Omos is they put him on Sunday. And now I don't now I might have to go Sunday. I don't know. I was so excited for Omos versus Lesnar. God yeah, damn no, it. They, they they did a really good job of building out the card this year. I mean, listen, there are a lot of people, myself included, who are a little skeptical of that match when it was first teased. But um it's got a it's got a kind of appeal that nothing else on the card does. You know, it's like I remember talking to Brian Danielson forever ago and and he was just like, you know, I was like, don't do you ever wish there was like 10 more Brian Danielsons on the roster? And he was like, no, without the big show and Kane, like I would be meaningless. You know, like it's a, it's the way everything is different. It's all part of a it's all part of a, a variety show. And uh, and and man, Omos versus Lesnar might be like the peak of variety. So he's listed seven five with wrestling, but how tall is he actually? How big big Omos is? I mean, he's legitimately over seven feet. I mean, he was a basket. I think I think Ben, our producer Ben, looked it up, and he was. I mean, his his you know his basketball height and weight are listed online for when he was a college basketball player. They say seven three or something. So I mean, he's a big Jesus. big man. He's yeah, because really, you mean, think the legacy of giants, Andre, you know, mm-hmm. the peak, but yeah. they've they've. Mess with this a few times. The big show mm-hmm. that was listed him as whatever, but he was probably like what six nine. I've stood next to him six nine yeah. six ten. He's you know he's he's shrunk in his older age and he but he was definitely wearing lifts at his peak too. Diesel um, was listed as like you know huge. I forget what they what the actual I think they height said was six ten. But I don't yeah six ten sure. was not six ten. Hogan was always listed at like six ten six nine. He was like six three. Um, so they he's always shrunk. He's, he's, he's lost a couple inches too. So over the years, but yeah. Yeah. They always, they, they will add weight. Andre was being listed at 520 in his prime. There was no way he was 500, seven foot four, 520 pounds. That's one of the great things about Omos is he's actually like that big. Like when you oh, see yeah. him, if you're backstage or whatever, you're like, Oh my God. It, it's like seeing like Yao Ming or somebody. And the fact that he's athletic, I just felt like he was an untapped gem. I know in the ring of wrestling show, this has been I know Kaz probably has the most stock, um, but I think all of us, like, all of us chipped in. And- wait, wait, Kaz is sitting right here. What are you here? We're talking to this one. Hey, um, yo, Brock versus Omos has so much potential to steal the weekend for everything that you just said, right? Like, 
there's been such a history of like giants in wrestling not really being that gigantic, like especially when you see it in real life. And I think now that the way WWE has permeated so many other like sports or any other uh, forms of entertainment, you can really judge size. And Brock Lesnar is such a metaphor for size that anybody against him is automatically going to look good, especially at WrestleMania. Now you factor in Omos, who really is seven foot four, like over 400 something pounds, like just off the sheer spectacle of that, which is what is Vince McMahon's, you know, that's his wheelhouse spectacle. That has the potential to be something that we see in those signatures that they play over and over for the next several years. We see Hulk Hogan slam and Andre the Giant. Brock Lesnar is that for this generation. So the, the ability to have that moment at, happen at a WrestleMania in Hollywood is massive. One of the things with Lesnar that's been an issue with him is they never they never can find the right opponents for him. Like even when they had that whole thing where he's going to gonna wrestle Stone Cold in WrestleMania. So I don't want to see him wrestle Stone Cold. Stone Cold's neck is made out of paper mache. I don't want to see him get suplexed nine times. All, all he can do is like basically do the brawling stuff this one, like if he can suit, if he can suplex uh, Omas like even twice, that'll be the most memorable moment on Sunday, I think. People really care more about the real stuff in pro wrestling, and it sounds silly because wrestling's not on its face. Like real is not a legitimate sport, but it's there's a reason why Brock Lesnar has taken the place of the Andre the Giants up till this point because he's yeah. legitimately the most terrifying person in the world. But Big Omos is sort of the old school. He's legitimately seven four. He's really that you know he, he's a he's a really big dude. Um, and there's a there's a bunch of reality built in there too. You know, you look at him and you're like, oh yeah, WWE's going to keep him on the payroll for the next twenty years. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, it's going to be really fun to see what happens. And if Brock can like throw him around. Um, or even if it's just big Omos throwing Brock around, it's going to be cool to watch. Well, we've talked about this. When you're in the room and it's 80,000 people in a football stadium, it's really hard to have an entrance where you feel like you have some real impact. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, this guy. Um, I, I think The Undertaker was always able to pull that off with the music and how he walked and he was big enough. I mean, he was, he was he's another guy who wasn't as big as he was listed, but he was big. And it felt like a thing when he walked into the ring. But, you know, that was, that was, I was able to see Andre a couple times in the late 80s, even as he was like broken down. It was still a fucking thing when he walked into the, into the building. It was like, oh my God. Um, it's something that reigns as great as he is. It's cool when he comes in, but he doesn't totally have it because it's not physically opposing. Lesnar, when he walks in, it's a moment. Like there's just an aura and a charisma about him. And it just seems like, he's the most unstoppable guy you would ever wrestle in your life. Like he just, he's figured it out. And I think Omos kind of potentially could have that. That's one of the things I'd be interested to see in a football stadium. Like, will he have that energy? It'll be interesting to see. You know, we talk on the show about the airport test. You know, I think Kaz was talking about yeah. it yesterday where it's just like, do you, do you stop traffic? You know, do people stop when you walk through the airport and say like, holy shit, who's that? Um, Omos well, and those are always the guys Vince loves the most. He loves mm -hmm. like the huge bodies and he loves like the giant guys and, you know, and I think that's... in addition to that, it's they've become more valuable now because the wrestling that really has been popularized like in the past 20 years has featured smaller guys, more quicker guys. And that's just in all combat sports too, in the UFC, in, in basketball, like it's become strong, like super fast and everything. So when you get like big, imposing, like traffic stopping size, mm -hmm. especially now, it stands out more than it did before because 
everybody was kind of sort of that big back then. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's totally true. But you got, I mean, uh, Brock, man, the few times I've seen Brock Lesnar in person, I I mean, I ran the other way like he was trying to beat <laughs> me up and he didn't even know I was there. Yeah. Omos is, I mean, Omos probably is going to set the record for number of, of photos taken with fans yes. in the hotel lobby this week. Um, Roman what Reigns is a crazy what, what thing, took though. So, what, wait, what took so long with them? Because we were on this three years ago. Why... Was he just not a good enough wrestler? Were they afraid of well, his interview he's, skills? He's young what took so long? Too, you know what I mean? Like he's really young. Like I don't even think he's what twenty seven right now. Yeah, like, he's, he's very he's young. A pretty young dude. So even mm. like even though he's like that big, I think we kind of do the same thing in basketball, right? Like when you know that guy who's six foot ten, but he's in like the fourteen. He's fourteen years old. You just wait for him to kind of like catch up to his body. But I think mm. for wrestlers, it's kind of different. They didn't really look at it like that, you know. Like he came fresh out of college, you know, and. Anybody else who was at that age, say for, I guess, Austin Theory, who's pretty young but mm-hmm. pretty advanced, they got to go that through through that developmental system. So, you know, it doesn't help that he's seven foot five and he can't really hide that he's still learning how to wrestle. But I think now... It's like a, like a heavyweight MMA fighter. You got you, There's no one to spar with in the yeah. gym, you know? Who's training right. you? Yeah, but, exactly. But, but it is, I mean, it is interesting. It's, it's going to take everybody, anyone that size a little while to learn the ropes. And he also did get put on TV super young. That doesn't actually help your development to be put out there just yeah. because you look scary and you can chokeslam somebody. Yeah, like, it takes like, a while to like learn. He was like a bouncer for Raw Underground for a couple of mm-hmm. weeks. And then he was doing like a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, when you have somebody that big, you just throw them on TV because you get a reaction like, uh, like he passes the airport test just on TV every week, you know. You can stop and like, holy, dude, seven foot four and, and hilarious, you know. So, I love yeah. when those big athletic guys can actually do stuff. Like, there's this Instagram account that I follow. It's just ECW clips. Oh yeah, yeah. it's called like that time in ECW. It's amazing. Yeah. ECW. I can't believe it was legal. Like that's how crazy <laughs> some of the stuff is. But that remember when uh. Mike Awesome had like that one year run where he was actually awesome for, oh, yeah. for I don't know what happened to him. God only knows. But he was doing crazy shit like Young Undertaker. Same thing when Undertaker, the early days of him, when he would he would walk down the, the middle of the rope and jump off. And you're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm, how's mm-hmm. somebody doing that kind of size? So it's always fun. I'm always going to like that more than the little guys like the Rey Mysterio types. I'm just I'm just always less impressed. I don't know why. It's, I'm a snob about this stuff. Well, Listen, the, I mean, the real Matt, I mean, Rey Mysterio is a legend, a living legend. I got, but, I'm not, I'm but, not downing. I'm just saying what I personally like. No, to me, to me, the great, the most magical part about Rey Mysterio is the fact that he's still doing it at his age, yeah. you know, after right. putting in so many years doing it. I mean, he had a, he's had legit like match of the year candidates within the past 12 months, you know, I mean, he's that pushing 50, right? He's gotta yeah. Be. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> you know, we're I guess getting LeBron- him Saturday night against his son. Yeah. Oh. And he, and he's going to the Hall of Fame uh Friday. Friday's right. going into the Hall of Fame and Saturday he's going to take his, you know, son to the to, to the to the woodshed and try to teach him a lesson. It's a it's Ray Mysterio's 48 years old. Yeah. Yeah. 48. He's an old 48. 48. He was wrestling when he was 16 or he's 15. Got, he's got to be older than that. I don't I don't believe that. Oh my gosh. He was, he was All right, so video game. <laughs> let's do a draft. Matches we're most excited about. Kaz, you go first. Number one is uh, the tag team match. It's going to main event. It looks like it's going to main event Saturday. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus the Usos. This is the story, the, the, the Roman Reigns adjacent story that they've done the best job of telling. Uh, we're all excited about Roman versus Cody on Sunday night, but but Sami Zayn, who was a former member of of the Bloodline, uh, yeah, uh, the, the the you know the the Roman Reigns faction, uh, he split off from it. He reunited with his 
years old, I mean, his, his best friend of many, many years, Kevin Owens, and they're going to take down the Usos. And by doing that, by taking their titles, they're going to help break up the bloodline. There's no, the biggest, the most over person, the most popular person in the entire two night WrestleMania card is this skinny Canadian guy with a scraggly ass hair and a beard that would look unkempt in Brooklyn. And he's, and he is, uh, this is Sami Zayn I'm talking about, and he's going to get the biggest reaction. The crowd loves him more than but, anybody but else. But somehow, somehow, they didn't have the balls to make him the main event and put him on the poster and do that whole thing. Why not, Cass? Well, I'll say because the 1A storyline of that is just as interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think Paul Heyman had a lot to do with sort of tying both of those binds because obviously we mentioned the pectoral tear. Mm -hmm. That's a couple of months away, but the beauty in that pectoral tear was the building of this incredible bloodline story that yeah. it started out yeah. with Sami Zayn and Kevin and everybody else. So I think every wrestling fan had that drudging feeling of, oh my God, this is going to be the Yes Movement all over again. This is going to be Kofi Mania all over again, where we can just will Sammy to the main event if we just hashtag enough or chant enough or do something like that. But I think fans everywhere have grown such a respect for the storyline of Roman Reigns, the bloodline, yep. and now in, in, you know putting the realism of Cody Rhodes going to WrestleMania, the link that between Dusty Rhodes and both of them and, and just being away from the company, not overtly saying he went to go build AEW, but overtly saying, you know, he went and did things that helped grow the overall health of the business. Mm -hmm. So I deserve to be in this spot. He almost has a street cred that a lot of, like, The Rock probably wouldn't have it in this sort of, uh -huh. you know, if, if they if they shoehorn The Rock into this main event right now, it would feel worse than shoehorning Sammy in because the Bloodline storyline has been told so well. Yeah. So... There's yeah. a there's it, a way to look at it that they just did too good of a job with yeah. the Sami Zayn story, and it's hard to criticize them with, for that, right? They told that story so well that pe now people want him in the main event at WrestleMania. Well, all of your favorites can't be in the main event. Let's hope. I think that this tag team match Saturday night is gonna feel worthwhile. And they've also done a great job of not making the titles the story. Like the story is like friendship, loyalty, wh who's really family to you. You know, like mm -hmm. that whole the way they've broke that whole thing down is what's made people invested in it. Like, they can care less about the tag team titles. Like, anybody who's followed Sammy and Kevin's career since uh, PWG days when they were Kevin Steen and El Generico, mm -hmm. that, that's the storyline that they're telling, as well as, the, as, as good as they made this Bloodline storyline work with Jay and Sammy and their friendship as well. Add to the fact Jimmy and Jay are actual brothers. It's yeah. just a really well-told story on, like, family, loyalty, brotherhood, what it means to call somebody, like, your friend. Kevin Owens. Incredible mm -hmm. late bloomer run by him. It just seemed like he was going to be the the best version of a glorified jobber ever yeah. <laughs> about two years ago. Where it's like... They, remember what was that website I sent you that had the wins and losses of all the wrestlers? He had by far the the most losses, oh, yeah. but the most fun matches. Well, okay, so the, so we you know we do these stats on wrestling the ringer .com and you figure out when you start looking into them pretty quickly that the wor if you're actually looking at wins and losses, the worst thing you can be is a is a is a uh, heel that comes to work every day because you're going to lose <laughs> at every house show in every small yeah. town or because just the crowd wants to see you get your butt kicked. Um, but you're right. I mean, Kevin Owens was, uh, you know, he's not quite a jobber to the stars, but there's a there's a version of events where he's um, never, you know, where he's not a long reigning champion. And, and, and I never he, felt like he was going to get a push in a real way ever. Yeah, well, he, he was like one he was of the worst things you can be sometimes. 
one of the worst things you can be sometimes in pro wrestling is extremely good at your job. Because if you're yeah. extremely good at your job and you're not, and you don't, whenever your moment to catch fire is, if it passes you by, well, they're always going to see you as like a plan B, you know? And it's like, oh, well, we just need somebody to fill out a couple of months with Roman Reigns. Let's put Kevin Owens in there. Or you know what? We need someone to compete for the IC title. Put Kevin Owens in there. But I think that really, I mean, it, it, on some, on, in some way, if the show is being written, it's being booked correctly, real talent and real connection with the fans wins out. And I think that's what we're seeing with Kevin and Sami Zayn. Are we sure still, people still care about John Cena, Kaz? He's the, uh, as a main uh, eventer against Austin uh, Theory, a very him. polarizing guy. It's, 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 I don't think he's that polarizing. I just think the Austin Theory push has been so overt that yeah. John Cena being in this match is almost irrelevant, right? It's like, you know, he's not staying. It's like, you know, he's not going to beat him for the U.S. title, right? So he's almost just doing the honors. It almost feels like, okay, before we can really, you know, accept Austin Theory as the next sort of, uh, main eventer, you know what I mean? Like he has to go through a guy like John Cena right now, right? And that's yeah. all he's really there to do. You know, um, I don't think anybody going into this match is, you know, thinking this is going to be something that, you know, people go and watch WrestleMania for. Like I have to watch that John Cena match. It's just almost like he's doing him a solid yeah. Right. I gotta <laughs> be honest. Cool. I, I'm a threat to leave during that match. That I might be. <laughs> that's why I they're putting on first. That's moves. why they're putting on first. Yes. No. The, the, listen. Oh, the I worst, thought it was last. No, it's first. The wor the worst thing you can possibly. The, th there's nothing pe fans hate more in pro wrestling than predictability. It's because it's a because it's a scripted thing. You you want to be shocked. You want to be surprised. You want to have your emotions played with. So when you're a wrestler like John Cena during his heyday, that everybody said he's going to win every match. You get tired of them. You start booing him. And when there's a match where you feel like you 100% know the outcome, then that can get the fans kind of mad too. And it's also a perfect time to like not do that too, right? Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's also a perfect time to just say, you know what? John Cena's got a few movies uh, he's promoting this year. Let's throw the U.S. title on him. You know yeah. what I mean? To, to just carry it around. And maybe he'll win. Maybe, you know, but that's that's the thing. But I think like the overwhelming like thought process on John Cena in this, in this uh, match is, He's kind of doing the honors for Austin Theory, right? He's, like he's this, doing him a solid. Yeah, he's doing him a solid. All right, so let's take a quick break and then just come back quick. And I want I want to do some quickie questions for people okay. that barely watch wrestling. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, "Man, why did that happen?" If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm, is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is 
the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. For the casuals who barely follow what's going on, I think most important is that that guy who used to be Walter is now Gunther and he's kind of a thing. Uh, they name switched him. My son loved him as Walter. I've told the story about uh, my son a few years ago who now he'd probably like kill me if he did this, but he used to do the Walter chest slaps on me and they really hurt. <laughs> But I was still bigger than my son. I could fend him off. Now, if he did that to me, I'd probably end up in the hospital. Yeah. But he's just now Gunther. Why did this happen, Shoemaker? What What was the purpose of changing his name? Well, there's a couple of things at play. One is the sort of like IP question of like, well, he was Walter in the Indies. He was Walter before. If we make him Gunther, that will be the- Oh, we the, own the Gunther. We own it. And all, it's not just the legal thing. The sort of like more metaphorical, like he's ours now, right? Uh, and I think that there are probably people who rightly looked at the name Walter and was just like, that's a geek's name. That's not a <laughs> scary person's name. And I it thought that really... was part of the charm, though. His fucking no, name it was, was Walter. It was hilarious Listen, that he was We're not heel. making these decisions. I'm just saying what I think <laughs> pro somebody probably did. The first time I saw the name Walter in all caps on the Internet, I was like, yeah. what? Like, is this ironic? I'm not quite sure. Um, so, yeah, I call so him they... Gunther. I don't care if it's Gunther. I'd, I'd say no, Gunther. Sorry. No, it's it's fine. You can call him whatever you want. All he cares about is that you're going to remember the state of his opponent's chests after he like turns them into raw hamburger meat. It's, it's what it's got to be. It's a top three gimmick. The chest slap. What's the number one gimmick right now, Kaz? Oh man, or, out of uh, like chest slap is definitely in the conversation, but it's not number one. You like, know, honestly, low key, it might be. Seth freaking Rollins and you know the oh, oh yeah like the sing my mm. song that he's doing right now it's it's starting to be their new yes chant right like it might be a thing that sort of starts to you you hear in baseball stadiums or football games and stuff like that and you know Seth Rollins you talk about Kevin Owens having a, a great second you know run or or a late bloomer Seth is kind of in that mode right now, you know? Usually they change your theme music when you turn heel so that fans will stop singing yeah. along, you know, so that fans will, and, and they gave him this like gothic choir and now everybody's singing they along. they love it, yeah. He's one of the most lovable bad guys uh, in, the, in the whole business. It's true. I mean, you know, Finn Balor is coming out in his demon makeup for his Hell in a Cell match true. with Edge on Sunday. That's going <laughs> to be, that's always a fun thing to see in person and to see them try to pull off. I'm not, uh, you know, The Bianca Belair hair thing is really good in person. Oh, like, oh, way sure. better than I expected. Well, we haven't talked at all in any of our shows about potential big entrances. There's going to be some people that get these big epic WrestleMania entrances and Bianca's had hers or oh, last year. was absolutely beast, bonkers. Beast. Yeah. Uh, there, there is, Bianca Belair is, has, uh, a huge future, but is, a, is is an amazing piece of the present right now. And I think watching her, uh, watching her on a stage like WrestleMania is when you realize how how big of a deal she is in real time. And and, and it's going to be really cool to just see her right. come out, to see her absorb that adulation from the fans and whip her ponytail. And and it's gonna it, it's gonna be insane. And then Logan Paul, a better wrestler and performer in a football stadium than I think any of us ever imagined. I'm actually looking forward to that match. It's so crazy that you can just come out of nowhere and be as good at pro wrestling as he is. And it's it's awesome to watch as a wrestling fan. Um, yeah. But it's also really irritating to watch as a wrestling fan because people who don't pay attention think now think that wrestling's easy again. We spent <laughs> I spent a decade trying to convince everybody that wrestling is like the hardest sport you can put your body through in the world. And Logan Paul comes in and figures it out overnight. Like he's just like some sort of genius with a Rubik's it Cube It makes or sense something. though because he was a natural influencer slash performer just day after day. Mm-hmm. 
I think on it, YouTube and Instagram everywhere else. So I guess that part translates. The athleticism I wasn't prepared for. No, the athleticism is just bonkers. If anybody saw him in the Royal Rumble, him and Ricochet each jumped off one at one uh, a rope on opposite ends of the ring, jumped right. through the air, and, and I've like, never collided seen that before. halfway. No, well, yeah. no one, nobody's ever done it. Before. No one can do it. <laughs> no one can do that. I mean, it takes like listen. The, the list of people who can do that now is vanishingly small. The list of people who could do that ten years ago is zero. You know, I mean, it's not. I mean, Shane McMahon couldn't. And and Rob Van Dam could do that coast to coast spot, but nobody's right. jumping right. up in the air like that. I'm excited to see Rhea Ripley too in person, just like from an entrance kind of charisma standpoint, because she's always has that kind of crazy psychotic look thing that she does to the crowd that I, I think is effective. Yeah. It's a good one. We haven't seen a, a female wrestler really pull off that kind of energy before. Well, if she wins, stage. we've talked about this a lot in the Masked Man show. If she wins, she's going to be the nom. She's going to be the one person in her faction Judgment Day holding a world title. Right. And and it's not just. Yeah. I mean, talking about women wrestlers in new and interesting roles, she will be like the. She will be like the the godfather of that faction by default because she's going to have this big belt around her waist. And and she's. I mean, she's a perfect example of someone who's just like coming to their own by sort of embracing the. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin would always say, it's like your real personality with the volume turned up. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it, she's she's just she has become something one of the most magical performers in the company just by leaning into her own personality and leaning into just the sort of silliness of her and Dom's Dominic Mysterio's on screen relationship. It's been so fun to watch. Well, somehow we're getting Seamus, but I'm missing that day. I don't, I don't, the Seamus thing. Somebody's got to explain it to me at some point. It's like a Je it's like the Jeff Green of WWE. <laughs> that he just hangs around? Just keeps going and That's going. That's a great She's comparison. Like, it's like, oh my God, Jeff Green's playing 20 minutes in a playoff no. game again. What? But, here, but here's the thing. he catches the body on somebody. Right. You know, yeah, but it's like if Jeff Green were like briefly in the MVP conversation, Seamus has had match of the year candidate matches that last, <laughs> no, last I year. I don't understand it. It's crazy. Well, listen. Talk about a gimmick. There's no maybe there's no gimmick on WrestleMania weekend that's better that's that's better than it's not the chop. It's Sheamus's chest as the target right. of the chop. It's like a yokage. So, he gets the yokage body. Like these the slaps <laughs> just look better on his weird pale body. It's so it's gonna be it's gonna he's gonna look so gross. I interviewed him after a match a couple months ago. I was backstage and just and he came in and sat down and I was just like, I'm sorry for doing this, man. Like I don't wanna <laughs> I feel so bad. Uh but yeah, it's he he's he has had quite a renaissance and it's been really, really fun to watch. The thing Thing that we keep hearing, and Kaz can Kaz can tell you, the thing that we keep hearing when we talk to these people this weekend and over the past year is that I think every wrestler is somehow embracing a newfound appreciation for just being like part of the show yeah. and bringing up the yeah. people around them and like understanding that like my bloody chest is as valuable and as meaningful as me hoisting a title above my head, you know. And it's 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 really cool to hear about. We need it to feels like get there know, at ring at the ringer too. I feel like same thing. Your bloody chest <laughs> is all of our bloody chest. Yeah, I get it. Sorry, yeah, guys, no, I, I, I almost feel like because of Roman Reigns and his long title reign, you have yeah. to kind of find other things to get up for work, right? Like, yeah. So every little thing sort of matters a little more, you know. So, um, I would say you, you mentioned the bloody chest, right? Like that clash at the castle match between Gunther and Sheamus probably was their match of the year. Mm -hmm. And it was something that like, you know, I remember being here last year and like running into Seamus and basically having a conversation where he, he, he thought he might be done. He was like, maybe like a couple more months, like maybe a year or two, whatever. Like he was like seriously considering, you know, stopping wrestling. And then mm -hmm. like after having that conversation with him and then seeing him have like match of the year with like this other rising, you know, UK wrestling star and now having a marquee match for a title at WrestleMania, that's probably one of the cool underreported stories 
like going into this, right? Like the fact that, you know, these guys who have won world titles and probably in other times like Drew McIntyre or Sheamus would want to, you know, be fighting for a WWE championship. There's other things and other prides in, in the stories that they're telling that are making it more exciting for WrestleMania. So talking to Braun yesterday, talking to Bailey today, mm-hmm. they're all yeah. just like really excited to, you know, be a part of it right now, you know? So uh, I think it's, 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 it's been really cool to see. Yeah. Give me, um, Predictions for surprise people that aren't supposed to be in the card. Surprise show up people. Because you know they'll have at least one, possibly two. Probably yeah. one with an LA connection. Yes. There, there's So we got two nights of WrestleMania, and then you have to factor in Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania is a, is a, is one of the biggest surprise show up nights of on the wrestling calendar. So you can know, if I told you with 100% certainty that let's say Randy Orton will be back this weekend, we don't, yeah. There's still a lot of questions as to when that might be. But I think Orton might be there. Um, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock are always floating. Like, their names are always hovering around WrestleMania. Mm. Um, and The Rock had been rumored to be wrestling here for the longest time. So I, I don't imagine he's going to show up as a surprise. But maybe. I'm still holding out hope, man. Maybe. Like, I have, I have no way of of how you work him into this show. But I just got to believe. You know what I mean? Like, I... You tie well, in the Super Bowl appearance. No, we last know year. we know how they would work him. And he would be in. Don't you think he would show up in the Usos match? Um, he could be part of the Usos, be part of the or, Rock Cody Rhodes. But the problem is, when people have been fantasy booking you into the match for so long, it's going to feel yeah. like a letdown if you're just there to like, yeah. you know, get the crowd going. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there 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 are a lot there's some other people who are on the verge of coming back too. Who else? AJ Styles True. is one that we mentioned. I mean, there's. Ooh. There, there is some good wrestlers. But I don't there's know. There's Jay White rumors. Uh, oh yeah, swirling there's, around. There's a Jay White who's a who's a <clears throat> an American wrestler who has made his name in Japan. Is probably the biggest sort of free agent. Um, yeah, and there've been t- rumors about him. He feels more like a Monday Night debut. I, right. I, I don't right, know. right, right, right. There, there's no a lot Shane of diff- O'Mac, right? Shane O'Mac not happening. No chance. I don't even know the right way to answer this question, but, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know what kind of reaction they get. But if they, but if we're just going for like holy shit moments, yeah. I mean they have. The, the biggest like possible the names McMahon are all McMahons. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everybody in You're the right. McMahon family would certainly get a reaction that no, <laughs> that would rival anything else on the card. A McMahon family versus LeBron James family, four-on-four four <laughs> family match. Just penciled in. We heard, uh, we heard today Stephen A. Smith is going to be in attendance as a fan, so that's a pretty big one, too. <laughs> oh, like a Stephen A. McAfee type of? Oh, no. man. I don't know. You could you if you should go over and slap him in the face. That's a feud that everybody wants. Stephen to see. A would have been an unbelievable wrestling manager. I mean, oh, he really he would. Have. He, he would have been like straight what, out of the eighties. Him in oh, like that, a Paul Heyman role would, would yeah. kill right now. You know, he can get anybody. Any if he gets to, get to go in his like Stephen A isms on literally anybody, any wrestler. Yeah. That wrestler would be immediately over the next. Oh day. yeah, and he, he would only need to do it once too. So Listen, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. As Shoemaker knows. This is, to me, the biggest misopportunity with wrestling for the last 10 years is they've thrown away the manager role. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the manager, there should be... when In the 80s, there were like six awesome managers and they were all really helpful and useful in all these different ways. I just yeah. can't believe they don't see that. Before we go, uh, Kaz, I got to ask since you're on here, you're the only person I know at the highest level of wrestling and NBA, the combo. It's pretty rare. I appreciate that. Do you like that? Ex-NBA players have now turned into professional wrestlers. Yeah. The way they go at each other and they all have these podcasts now and these feuds come up that we didn't know about. And now 
there is literally no difference between like Gilbert Arenas and, <laughs> you know, pick anyone from the 90s, Mick Foley. Right. Um, just right. going on some podcast and lighting up like five people that they played for against. How did this happen? When did we get here? When did this, when did this blur? I think we're all sort of children of the Attitude Era, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you know, the Austin Rock era is just so ingrained to the 20, 30, 40-something-year-olds of, of our current generation that the one thing we sort of took away from everything about that era is, yeah, we remember the matches, but we, re we really remember is the shit talk, the promos, yeah. like going back and forth. And I think not just the NBA, but sports everywhere have figured that out, like, we can watch you be as athletic as possible, but if I don't have any heartfelt reason to grow, to, to, to root for you or against you, I'm only so interested, right? And yeah. that's one thing that the NBA has really figured out, right? Like, we love rivalries. We love, uh, you know, uh, having a bad guy. We, lo we love having a team that we all point at and say, those guys suck, whether it's the Miami Heat or the, you know, the, the Memphis Grizzlies right now. like The New England Patriots. Yeah, the New England Patriots. Like, there's so many elements of pro wrestling in not just the NBA, but in all sorts of sports that... There's a reason why it's been so successful for so long because there's regular human elements that we all use to base to tell basic storytelling that have worked throughout time and pro wrestling has done that for so long that it doesn't even look like something that they came up with when you're seeing Draymond Green go at uh Dylan Brooks right with the current right? first too yeah, I love, like, like the, get the Gilbert Arenas class and those people I, <laughs> Shoemaker we need this type of media where Rick Riley just starts ripping John Feinstein for no reason. We're like, whoa, what's going on here? There's just like a whole thing. I mean, it happens. Social media has sort of, uh, uh, you know, fast forwarded that, right? Like, yeah. you know, the tweet, the clapbacks, you know what I mean? Like, that's all promos. That's all selling drama. That's all selling interest. Well, in, yeah, you, know, you, got guy, you got some guys, you got Jason Whitlock's out there yeah. trying to work heel, you he's know, he's like, he's, he's trying to do this. <laughs> Listen, uh, I think that we're, I think everybody, I think Kaz is right. We're all children of the attitude era. And I think that yeah. the reason why someone like Logan Paul can pop up in WWE and immediately make so much sense is that everything about, everything is pro wrestling now. Everything, the, 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 the things that make people super successful on social media are the things that make people great wrestlers, you know? And, and, and for people who are old like us, sometimes you look at it and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. But I think for people of like, your kids' generation, there's yeah. no, it, it makes perfect sense. They don't stop for a second to think about it. They can hold two things in their head at the same time, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that that's why we see it in the NBA and in wrestling and everywhere else too. I might have, I might have my son show up for uh Saturday night, just going tank top and overall, something like that. Like looking like he's might come on, come into the ring. I think that's going to be his vibe. Oh yeah, Saturday. like he's not that <laughs> far away. He's going to be in WrestleMania in six years. I was I mean, going to say, isn't that how they, forever, isn't that how they booked? There. Isn't that how they booked Canadian Earthquake into the onto the show? He was just a guy <laughs> sitting in the crowd, like who's that guy out there? Earthquake. Yeah, <laughs> come in here. Um, yeah, that's yeah, a great old wrestling trope. Ben's going to be great. Ben, I, th I thought you were asking why about basketball players actually becoming wrestlers, and we were just joking around off camera. Oh. Off. That's what I thought. That's why I, I said, yeah, we're, immediately. We're, <laughs> we were talking about off mic about whether Ben Simmons, the basketball player, should go into <laughs> professional wrestling. It's like, is that maybe that's the next move for him? He just keep getting scratched right before matches <laughs> and cards. Maybe it'll, maybe it's a better line of work for the guy. You know, he can he can he knows how it's going to end before he goes in. How great! A lot of the current guys could do it. Like Draymond, Patrick Beverly, there's Dylan Brooks would be a great. He's trying to be a wrestling heel. I don't. Oh, I mean, yeah. They should do you it. You know, they should, you know, it's it's probably less taxing on the body after a while. 
You know, you probably don't have to work as many matches. Do a Logan Paul deal where you sign up for four matches, show up just for the stadiums, and then, you know, get your check and be out. Like, why not? <laughs> Westbrook would be a good wrestler where it's like, this guy, he used to be famous. He still thinks he's <laughs> oh. the shit. His matches aren't good. He's super polarizing. Then there'll be other people be like, no, no, he actually does have good matches. Yeah, people yeah. Just every, every, look at the, the, look at the numbers. <laughs> right. Once in a while. Never gets hurt. Super durable. That's so what you need there. as a pro wrestler. I mean, hey. Dwight Howard tried out uh, just recently to wrestle. He was at the the um, the NIL tryouts with at Big SummerSlam, e yeah, at SummerSlam, and uh, you know he cuts a lot of promos. Probably needs some to sharpen it up a little bit, but he definitely has the body to do it. Like, yeah, well, you got a lot of money. It's probably weird to think about going on the road full time with WWE, but man, it yeah. would be it would be fun if some of those guys did it. Well, that's the thing with Logan Paul, right? He could be one of their best assets, but he would make way more money not doing wrestling and doing yeah. the 19 other things he could do. All right, guys, I'll see you this weekend. Good WrestleMania recap. Uh, can't wait for it. Two days. It's going to be this weekend. And you can listen to the Ring of Wrestling show. You made your predictions. What was that, today? Part one is today. Part two is tomorrow. Um, and some interviews, too. So Lots right. of interviews, I'll lots of other shows. There's, we have so much content. I can't even keep track of it on there. I will see you at the football stadium with my bodyguard, Ben Simmons. Thanks for coming <laughs> on. All right. Thanks for having thanks, us. Bill. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Mahoney and Shoemaker and Kaz. Thanks to Kyle Creighton and Steve Cerruti. Don't forget, I'm going to be on the Prestige TV podcast right after Succession ends on Sunday night with Joanna and Sean. And I will see you with Priscilla later that night on Sunday. Have a good weekend.